devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find Welcome to episode ooh, 17 of the Beyond Nashy set of podcasts here on the Nashy Gas feed. That's right, Beyond Nashy number 17. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And I will stop speaking in a halting fashion as soon as I figure out what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, you haven't been a well man, so we'll, we'll forgive you for uh, yeah, yeah, last last week was, uh, was a bizarre bladder infection. Uh, I'm looking forward to discovering just how many bizarre ailments I can get uh, under my belt. Yeah, so I know. You, you've gone through kind of, you know, you got quite a litany over the last few years there. So. I know, <laughs> I know. Who knew kidney stones could lead to bladder infections except apparently everybody? Mm. <laughs> uh, except me. It's really cruel because when you're done with a kidney stone, you should get like a whole year off from like anything, you know, any problems <laughs> whatsoever. You know, but, no, uh, no flu. Yeah, no exactly. Colds, no, yeah. No, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even yeah. a stomach ache or anything, headache, even just, you know, just total pass for a year on gaining any kind of elements once you've, once you've de- dealt with a kidney stone. Well, you know, three days of dealing with a bladder infection and having uh, some uh, hallucinatory uh, moments during that whole thing where mm. I imagined the entire world laid out in an incredible grid grid fashion <laughs> where everything fit perfectly within grids and the grid like it receded off into the distance to the horizon so that in in a way they kind of seemed as if the grids were trapezoidal shaped. It was, mm-hmm. it was a magic, magic time induced by, of course, you know, a disease, but you know, thank God for antibiotics, or I, who knows what, who knows just, what would happen. Maybe we're just seeing Nashville in the future. <laughs> grids, 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 oh, grids, grids of condos. Can you imagine trying to trying to grid the way things are laid out in Nashville? I'd love to see somebody try. Yeah, right. Not, not going to happen. But folks, we are glad to have you with us yes. here. It is once again time to sit down and talk to you about a Spanish horror film from uh, the golden age of the Spanish horror film. That would be the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And we're glad that you have joined us. Uh, what are you up to? Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Let's talk, <laughs> What's to, that? Let's talk to somebody. What's that? Speak louder. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk to somebody in the room. Troy, anything interesting going on? None, nothing whatsoever. You know my life. And <laughs> no, Jeez, nothing, yes, nothing. yes, I do know your life. I'm trying to live vicariously through you. What the hell? Oh. Yeah, no, no, just uh, getting excited for Monster Bash, G-Fest, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, so not having a whole lot of time to watch a lot of stuff, uh, I, I am reading the... Uh, reading Tarzan the Terrible, the eighth Tarzan novel, uh, getting excited about the potential of them actually doing a good modern Tarzan movie uh, that's supposed to be coming out, uh, I guess, July 4th weekend. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and i uh, also been, uh, I know you like Charlie Chan, and so I had kind of a, got a slew of some Charlie Chan movies come in on Netflix that I've been checking out uh, So the from the Sidney Toller era. And okay. uh, previous to that, I'd mostly seen uh, uh, Warner Oland films, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd have to say just... Based on the four or five of each actor that I've seen, I think I'm I think I'm more of a Sidney Toller fan really? uh, than okay. you know. Although I mean, certainly Warner Olin did fine too, but maybe it's just that these particular 
Maybe it's just the quality of the mysteries I found better. Them some mysteries themselves I found better in these Sidney yeah. Toller movies. Now they, I, I don't, you know. I don't want, to, I don't want to make you feel bad, but you're wrong. <laughs> so you're a Warren <laughs> Olin man, huh? I really do like Warren Olin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, Sidney Toller, Sidney Toller took me some getting used to mm-hmm. in the role because there's just something a little too impish in his face. Mm-hmm. Well, he definitely role. has that. I mean, I kind of enjoyed the, I mean, like the way he plays people, kind of with that. You know, he definitely. Has a slyness to him in the way that he plays the the uh, the mm-hmm. congenial Chinaman, and then you know. But as soon as people look away, you can see as the wheels turning, and he, you know that facade kind of drops. You know, at times, you know, when you can see like just how serious he is taking it, everything, and I kind of like that. You I know? can see, I can see that. I the thing I like about Warner Olin is that he he had he perfected that inscrutable face. You never knew mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. what was going on behind right. those eyes. And we, as the audience, would occasionally get glimpses as you could see him. You know, we as an audience are let in on what, mm-hmm. you know, what gears are turning in his mind. But he lets on nothing mm-hmm. to to prospective uh, mm-hmm. uh, criminals, and that's something I really liked about Warner Olin. But uh, it's hard to not enjoy any of the Chan film. Well, that's not true. Okay, uh, Charlie Chan of the Secret Service is one of the most boring hours you will ever spend in your life. <laughs> as a matter of fact, there are a few. Uh, that uh, MGM have, uh, man, I, that's the only one I remember. I remember it was an hour and five minutes, and I could have, without hurting anything, chopped fifteen full minutes out of it. And you, <laughs> and it was like scenes of Charlie Chan walking, yeah, from so, the car to uh, the house. So yeah. even even that movie, even a lot of padding at that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's bad when a movie, a movie if a movie is only sixty five minutes, it should not be. You know, it should not have <laughs> slow pacing or dullness as one of its no, sins. No, but no. Uh, now I did appreciate that Warner Olin films had Matt Matt and Moreland, you know, and in some of them. Yeah, you know, yeah. Love Matt and Moreland. And, uh, but there's still quite a, a few more of each actor's work that I, of the, of those that I have to see. Uh, I'm sure that both of the series had their ups and downs, you know. But oh, yeah. I've been, but I've, I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed the ones I've seen. You know, been pretty, pretty good. So well, it's a lot of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't uh, delved back into the Chan stuff in a while. Although I do have, um, I've got an unopened set of Chan uh, sitting over there. I need to, I need to dive into. But uh, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, I have been, uh, I finally finished binge watching the second season of Bosch on Amazon, and can highly recommend both seasons of yeah, Bosch. I've heard that's really good. It's very very strong each season they adapt uh two of the uh, michael Connolly novels and uh both of them they they do very very good job there's a there's a good build the uh the actors are very well cast everything is well put together um just just good stuff i mean cool. it's it's 20 episodes uh you know 10 episodes a season it's 20 episodes of excellent you know police police procedural television it's phenomenally well done I recommends it. Cool. Uh, but other than that, I guess what we need to talk to is the, talk about is there are uh, two pieces of uh, Nashy news to, to clue everybody into. <clears throat> One we've talked about before, and it's just to remind everybody about the drive-in super monster rama, and nothing that's called that could be bad. And uh, Ever. this is. Uh, Rod and I both drooled over this event for years, and we're going to still be drooling even more this year because we're still not going to get to go. But uh, no, no, it's logistic. You know, I, I've sworn to myself someday I'm going to do this, but we just want to make sure that everybody out there in, in Nashi Land and in our podcast, our podcast listeners, knows about this event that takes place on Saturday, September 10th this year. Actually, at, well, Friday, Friday, sorry, Friday and Saturday, Friday, yeah. September 9th, Saturday, September 10th. In Vandergrift, Pennsylvania, wherever the hell that is, um, <laughs> it's another one of the reasons why it's not exactly easy to get to for us Southerners. But what it is is it's this astounding 
annual event uh, put on at, at a drive-in, and uh, and basically what they do is they show two nights of classic horror movies uh, for only ten bucks. And every year the lineup is amazing. I mean, one year actually for uh, I think it was Peter Cushing, the hundredth anniversary of Peter Cushing's birth, they did nothing but Peter Cushing films, like eight Peter Cushing films over two days. Good God. But this year they're actually doing three Nashy films, and uh, uh, which they're showing uh, on the Friday. They're showing yeah, one of the Blind Dead films, right? Uh, yeah, Horror of the, the Zombies. zombies so. They're showing Night of the Howling Beast, and then House of Psychotic Women, and Curse of the Devil. So, and then on and then as if they weren't enough on the second night, they're showing both Dark Shadows movies: House of Dark Shadows, Night of Dark Shadows, and then finishing it off with the House of Drip Blood and the Bat People. Um, so anyway, just I'm you know it's killing me not be able to go. I actually, my uh, actually my band Secret Commonwealth is playing a Scottish festival that year, and I uh, just I can't shaft the rest of the band by pulling yanking that <laughs> yanking that. That's not exactly a you know you can't exactly call the festival and say can you please like move your event so I can do this other thing and then you know you could try I could try I guess but uh, anyway so but we just want to make sure that uh, you know here it is. It is June, so if some of you folks didn't know about it, and and now that we're letting you know, they're showing some Nashy films. Oh, we we hope that yeah, it's, so it's in, in early September. So yeah. if you can, you yeah. know, there you go. At least go, now you know about it, right? Go out there and represent. Wear your uh, wear your Nashy cast T-shirts and badges, and you know, button, buttons. <laughs> yes, all of those other things. things we haven't made, but hopefully you have on your own. So <laughs> yeah, really, everybody's stitched together a Nashy cast, yeah, Nashy cast T-shirt and yeah. and pin set. Just to, by the way, send us a copy. Yeah, your VW bus that you painted all up. Uh, to look like you know, painted up to represent Nashi Cast with our faces on it. Be sure and drive it there. So. <laughs> oh my goodness! Now the other piece of news is something that floated across my Facebook feed from uh, author Troy Howarth, who uh, has written a number of genre books that uh, pertain to uh, well our field of uh, of love. If you if you're mm-hmm. a fan of Euro cult cinema, he has announced that he is going to be writing. A book about our man, Paul Nashi, And it uh, looks to be very exciting. He's got the full cooperation of the family. Uh, his idea is to focus on the work that uh, Nashi did as an actor, as a filmmaker, as a, as a director, and all this, that, and the other, along with a fair amount of uh, biographical information. He wants to pay attention to key collaborators. He name-checks Carlos Allred and Leon Klamowski. So uh, all of these things are very, very good. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, He's not going to get to writing it, apparently, until sometime next year. This is a very early notation that this book is going to exist. We don't even have a title or anything like that. But, hey, a new book about the career of Paul Nashi. Mm-hmm. How can you complain? Yeah, we will be watching that and keeping you updated on anything we learn. So uh, that is uh, this this month's Nashy News. Nashy News. And uh, just to keep you up to date on a few other things, just let you know that uh, if we haven't mentioned it already, tonight we'll be covering <laughs> Who Can Kill a Child from uh, 1976, a Spanish horror film directed by Narisco Ibanez Sarando. And that is the last time I will attempt to pronounce his name with any skill or fluency. Because I'm terrible at it. I think those. we'll just call him Serador from here on out. Serador? Serador? Maybe that is it. Maybe that is how they pronounce his name. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I, and what's terrible is I've heard his name pronounced and just did, did not manage to wedge the actual pronunciation into my brain before <laughs> sitting down to do this. Yeah. 
It is not meant as a slight, sir. <laughs> I'm a big fan of both of your theatrical films and wish that you had made more. Yeah, I, I, I've still not gotten to see The House That Screamed, actually. But I, really? I definitely, well, that, yeah, I, I definitely I, intend to, but well, I I've heard a lot of good things that, about it. Uh, I guarantee you we will we'll cover it. Cover I figured we would. Yeah, I figured that's, we would that is point. a film well worth covering and definitely right in our wheelhouse of uh, Spanish horror from the time. So, yeah. Uh, so tonight we'll talk about who can kill a child, but uh, first we'll take a quick break and then come right back. Are you tired of the same old pop culture podcast? Do you listen to those other podcasts and think to yourself, why don't they talk about the things I'm interested in? Hi, I'm Reverend Scott, and when I want to listen to a couple of guys with their appendages on the pulse of pop culture, penis, I listen to the Are You Serious podcast. Hear news about politics and religion where hosts Chris and Frank ask the tough questions. If you woke up with a cock in your mouth, would you take it or leave it? Yeah, exactly. How big is the cock? You'll hear entertainment news about your favorite movies and TV shows, plus plain old wholesome discussion about the lives of Chris and Frank. So, I mean, now I am like tattooed. It's weird. It's like I've, I guess I should explain what I got. Yeah. It's three swastikas. Each one interconnected <laughs> to look like a smiley face. And on my left arm is cock and balls. And you notice I looked at my right character arm. Character from an old that. Disney film. It's the prequel to Song of the South. Exactly. I have, it's um, called Song of the Cock and Balls. <laughs> it sounds like this. So, when you think pop culture podcast, remember this. What's that thing between the dick and the asshole? The Are You Serious Podcast on iTunes or Are You Serious Podcast.com. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of here. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Science. <laughs> Nineteen seventy-six. I can't even speak now. Um, now um, we're going to take a run through the plot of this film. I want to. I want to let everybody know up front that uh, there probably will be spoilers. Um, I ha- we didn't have kind of a pre-game discussion no. uh, between ourselves about whether or not we were going to spoil this film or not. But to be honest, I think that uh, we probably kind of will have to. And I don't know that uh, knowing the end of this film will necessarily keep people from wanting to see it. Uh, it's not the kind of, you know, there's no big twist ending. Yeah, um, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> and I don't think the tone of the ending would surprise anybody either. You know, no, if, they've, no. if they've come to know 70s 
cinema. <laughs> you know, it, this is a very seventies film. I was about to say there's a there's a nihilistic glee in the, in the entire yes. in the entire cast and crew's eyes. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, who can kill a child? By the way, this film was. Um, was cut down and released here in the States. They cut about 20 minutes out of it and Jeez. released it here in the States as Island of the Damned. Oh, that's not generic, is it? <laughs> Other alternate titles include, uh, let's see, Island of Death, Death is Child's Play, and uh, very, uh, let's see, well, Island of the Damned seems to be the most prevalent alternate title, mm. but... You know, Death is Child's Play is not a terrible alternate title. If you have to go alternate titles, that's not an awful one. Well, another alternate title that uh, it was kind of uh, known under for a while was Trapped, which is interesting, which is not, it which is. Is not it, bad. No, that's okay. Uh, in that the, the, uh, the film, the body of the film and the, the horror aspects of the film take place on an island. Yeah, so, yeah. Which is, and we can talk about this maybe later if you'd want to, but I kind of want to talk about it now. I love the idea, I love the setting of an island. I love mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. up front mm-hmm. how isolated your characters are. Because there's a there's a, an inherent suspense level that you're never going to get beneath. Because I mean, essentially, you you start out instead of at a, a one or a two, when you're mm-hmm. when you know you're on mm-hmm. an island, mm-hmm. you can you, you're automatically at four because yeah. there's there's you know well you know there's really no way to effectively or easily call the authorities. Exactly, so. it removes that need to want to scream at the actors. You know, just leave. Can't you read the signs? Just leave. <laughs> you know, because they can't. You know, so it's it's yeah. definitely changes that and then it just becomes a question of you know how do they logically when do they logically come to the point that we need to get off this island you know but then they still it's not just it's not as easy as all that they still have to deal with how to do that and and, so yeah I like and I agree with you I like the isolated settings there Uh, it's the same way with it's you know same way with something like Alien why Alien worked on spaceships spaceships the same thing you know it's like you're you're, you know and generally you know you're you're gonna be trapped or at least until you can reach that good old escape shuttle you know that's a good old escape pod there okay the film starts with a montage of documentary footage that depicts the effects of war and famine and everything that goes along with war on children, mm-hmm. and it does this horrifically. All of this mm-hmm. is all of this is uh, documentary footage from, and they label it. They tell you where this footage is from, what years, uh, and then they lay out uh, the number of people who died in each conflict and how many of those dead were children. And the numbers are always horrific. We're yeah, talking yeah. the hundreds of th- <clears throat> we're talking in the hundreds of thousands in each incident, and it's a it's a pretty horrifying thing i can remember when i first saw this i first saw this on a on a, a bootleg tape years and years ago and uh it was a uh, a, a version that i think was unfortunately slightly shortened and right. one of the things that got shortened down was some of this footage at the beginning because because it's an eight minute segment it's an eight right. minute opening oh eight minutes of opening credits this 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 takes a while this this is a, a little piece in and of itself that is setting you up for the the film to come and the ideas the ideas within it of just the horrors of of what we as adults do to children via war and how they are essentially the the people who take the brunt of every little thing that we do on a global scale is laid out in pretty graphic and horrible fashion and it alternates between between each segment you hear this child's voice singing this Basically, what's the haunting theme song, theme yeah. melody, and then you hear, and you, uh, at the same, and you also hear sounds of children giggling and playing, 
you know, before it goes into the next, before it goes into the next segment. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a harrowing thing. But the the version I saw initially kind of truncated this down a bit and didn't uh, didn't uh, provide any uh, subtitling to let me know what the hell you know all this footage is from different places and mm-hmm. and give an idea of the the number of casualties and how many of how many uh, children were killed in these different conflicts and so uh, it always seemed to me a, an odd way to start the film it still feels like an odd way to start the film it's it's odd it may go on i mean i think it goes on a little bit too it long it probably makes it it probably belabors and there's a couple of times this film as we talk about that maybe the a couple of times when points are belabored a little much or things that are maybe said that could have been left unsaid but i think that i think one, one thing it does serve to do is i mean it definitely gets you you know by the time the credits are over you know you've very much been reminded of the uh, the evil of the often you know just unthinking evil of the of the or indifference to children's suffering. I mean, it puts you on the side of the children to start the film, you know? I mean, yeah. in the sense that you're feeling totally well, it, guilty is how yeah. horrible the adults it induces, you know, are. It induces in empathy. Yeah. It induces yeah. empathy automatically. There's, yeah. a, there's a sympathetic nature mm-hmm. to... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sympathetic nature to our view of children in yeah. the abstract to begin with. Yeah. Because they are the innocents. They're the people that we have... You know, they're, they're, the, they're the young. They're the ones we have to, uh, to take care of and be careful with because they are young. They're inexperienced. They're unaware of their... Mm-hmm. They're unaware of the ways of the world. And it is horrible to watch this segment and realize that, you know, regardless of however much we may do, they still take the brunt. They mm-hmm. still take mm-hmm. it. They still mm-hmm. take, mm-hmm. you know, the point of the spear repeatedly, no matter mm-hmm. what you do. I think this segment, I, I thought it was interesting that in the uh, documentary on the, the DVD or the director points out that he might he might have changed one thing by cha- by actually shifting this opening montage to the end of the film. Oh, wow, really? Which I thought was an interesting that comment is to an make. Interesting, yeah, that 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 would have that would have been interesting to do that. It would have changed the uh, it would have changed the tone. It would have given uh, well, not necessarily the tone, but it would have definitely changed the way that you looked at everything that happened until the end. And then when the end comes, and there's a mm. bit, you know, and mm. there's this. Uh, mm. Well, we'll get to the ending, but I think that trimming it down a little and putting it at the end could have been effective as well. It's just, it, it, you'd almost have to see it to discover whether or not it would have. Because one thing I really do like about the way the credits, after we've done with the credits, is the way the opening sequences of the film come after, come after that opening credits is the fact that, you know, as, as we get into, we're basically dropped into this town that's having a festival, you know, where our protagonists yeah. have arrived, you know, to come. They're basically looking to come to a festival that, uh, uh, and, and I'm probably like stepping on your synopsis. No, no, so, no, you no, know, no, but, no please, that's But okay. I'm just saying that, I, I love this whole opening sequence of the, the film where they're at the festival because I love the sound. The sound of this film is really good. The sound yes. editing and the, the editing in general in this film is, is really good. Let me say that. I think it's just very well edited. But the things they do with sound, I think, to come off that, 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 that opening credit sequence to follow by a sequence where you're constantly hearing fireworks and bombs and some of them in very startling places, you know. It's, yes. it's, even though it's a festival, everybody's celebrating. But the way the fireworks and explosions and even the protagonists are kind of, you know, jolted at times by it. And I think it's... I think it comes back to that credit sequence because we've just heard about all these wartime atrocities against children, you know, all these bombs, and then we sort of go oh, the sequence where people are having yeah. this big adults are having this huge celebratory festival, and part of the celebration is is shooting fireworks, you know, loud explosions, you know. So I think it, that that's that's, that's, that's a, a good point. You're right. Yeah. I hadn't thought about the use of fireworks mm-hmm. as a kind of callback to the uh, to the uh, the violence of war, mm-hmm. uh, kind of 
I, I, it, it's unnerving, and it's the kind of thing that you know. You as soon as you're unnerved and realize you shouldn't have been unnerved, you 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 laugh because yeah. it's that release of tension. But yeah. the uh, it, it, you're right. That's 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 something that I had not to, I had not put together. I had not kind of connected those two elements. But you're right. Moving that from the moving the documentary opening from the front would change the way that whole sequence feels. That's true. Huh. Okay. Well, the the this is the story of an English couple, Tom and Evelyn, mm-hmm. who are taking a vacation before Evelyn gives birth to their third child. Yeah. Uh, they have left the uh, their their two older children in their uh, in their grandparents' care uh, back home and are taking a vacation in uh, on on the coast of Spain to uh, get away a little while before uh, the birth of their third child. Uh, clearly, a very happy couple. Mm. And they're uh, they're enjoying themselves. And the reason they're in this particular place is that uh, the husband Tom, uh, years before before they were married, came to this uh, spot and went to an island off the coast uh, and had just an idyllic paradisical time. And he wants to go there and take his wife. He wants to take her there and spend a few days with her there uh, to let her see what this just beautiful, mm-hmm. out of the way, very quiet place is. I think they call it Amandora, I guess. Amandora. Amandora is how they pronounce it, I believe. Now this, where this festival is, this main place they're at is, I sort of, is it Benavis or is it Benahavis? Uh, ben, it's, it's, um, I, I wasn't. If I remember correctly, ben, Benavis? Benavis, Benavis, anyway. It's on, yeah, it's so. on the Mediterranean mm, coast. Right. And it's, a, it's uh, I think it's on the Mediterranean coast. Anyway, it's, no, not the Mediterranean coast. My, anyway, my brain is fried. It uh, the uh, the the very hot. It's okay. Let's yeah. let's get something out of the way here. Yeah. The, one of the reasons why, uh, besides the fact that it's the 40th anniversary of the film this year and its release, uh, this is a movie that uh, was shot in summer. Mm-hmm. It's very warm. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, the the town there uh, they're shooting this opening sequence in before they uh, hire themselves a boat and go off to the little paradisical island. Is uh, a, a a town a a, a in, in full festival that is obviously a tourist attraction, a tourist place. Uh, it is cram packed with people, and that is one of the things that the husband is is emphasizing to his wife is that yeah, yeah this place is overcrowded and insane. That's another reason why I want to take you to this mm-hmm. island off the coast because mm-hmm. it's quiet. It's like we'll be able to relax. It's beautiful, and you you know there's no there's not yeah. a billion people around. Yeah. Yelling and drinking and having a good time, mm-hmm. we can just relax. They arrive. They they hire a boat uh, the, the next day. They uh, to to go out to the island. Uh, we learn from dialogue that. Uh, well, first of all, let's learn. We learn a couple of things from dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Let's point out that uh, the uh, the the couple um, through a, through a discussion before they go to to, to sleep uh, the first night. They're talking about the fact that uh, they had clearly discussed and thought at length about whether or not to actually have this third child. Right. Yeah. Um, because uh, they do. They they already have the two, and uh, they they thought about it, and they decided to keep it. The husband is just uh, he kind of lovingly checks in a little with his wife mm. and makes sure you know, she are you are you still okay with this? Are you still is this still the way you want to go? And mm-hmm. and and she and it is, and she's she's happy about it. I mean, there are always going to be those those doubts when you're in a mm-hmm. when you're in a relationship, even you know even even a marriage, even a marriage with kids mm-hmm. already. It's maybe even especially in a marriage with kids. Mm-hmm. Do you want to add another to the brood? You know, yeah. I thought that that was interesting, and it also brings up another point, which is the. Regardless of how you want to slice it, it brings up the 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 idea of 
having to do away with a child for the benefit of other children. Yeah, yeah, and and really, what they, the <clears throat> the words they choose in this are very interesting because what kind of kicks off the discussion is is uh, that uh, the husband Tom starts talking about he's the idea of of people killing their children to spare them from the suffering of the world, you know, which happens from time to time when you hear of a parent who kills himself and kills his children too. And a lot of times that's considered maybe possibly the motivation there is, 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 is the, the parent not only can't bear to live anymore, but also thinks in some ways he's sparing his yeah. children. Yeah. But then she says, she refers to the child in her belly and she says, you wanted to, she says murder, I think, right? She says you wanted so. to murder him, which is a really, I don't know how realistic that, I don't know how I you know, a wife using that term to her husband, but it doesn't seem to, I mean, it, it seems a bit extra harsh there, you know, so it suggests she's either maybe harboring some sort of resentment, resentment over mm-hmm. him or like, or fear of, you know, like, so the fact that he was willing to do that, the fact she uses that word, because there's a lot of other words she could have chosen and she uses that one, you know, so if there's an intentional point in the dialogue, you know, for her actually using that particular word, or was it just a matter of translation dubbing whatever you know well it's, it's, l- let's let's tell people up front this is a film that was shot uh primarily in english mm-hmm. uh, uh the, the couple speak english to each other mm-hmm. at, at, at all times the wife does not speak spanish at all the husband is bilingual and therefore uh therefore does speak both spanish and english although his, his spanish is not fantastic and he readily admits it they 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 don't he doesn't have any trouble communicating with the natives at all the dialogue is at least the English dialogue is definitely the dialogue spoken on set. These are what the actors said. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, it's their voices. Yeah. The qualities of their performance are very high, not mm-hmm. the least of which mm-hmm. uh, can be ascribed to the fact that it is their voices. It is their mm-hmm. full. It is their full performances. Yeah. Now, um, you don't get the sense. I don't get the. I mean, they seem to be very much in love, and they seem to have a good yeah. chemistry together. You don't get the sense that she has any resentment for him, but I do think it's interesting that because that the fact that we bring up the fact that they were apparently were thinking of aborting the child and it does make it sound like it might have been him that was pushing more for it does kind of play later into things the characters do later in the film. I mean, it has a little bit, it does have a resonance into the title of the film and what we later right. see characters do. So, Well, also, and I think this is, this, this gets a little bit into gender politics, but at the, mm-hmm. at, at the same time, you know, in a, in a relationship, a married committed mm-hmm. relationship with children, one wonders who is going to bring up that possibility in a mm-hmm. situation like this? Who's going to bring it up first? Mm-hmm. Because somebody's got to bring it up. Yeah, and it's obvious yeah. that they both knew that they had to yeah. talk about this mm-hmm. because it is it will be a financial strain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the bad guy who mentions it is always going to be the bad guy who mentioned it yeah, of course yeah you know regardless yeah. you know regardless of gender and sure. the uh, the position you kind of put yourself in as the the guy in the relationship is mm-hmm. you're always going to be that asshole who who brought mm-hmm. up aborting our child and it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. yeah if you want to play that card it's there yeah yeah i mean it, it will always be there mm-hmm. but at the same time i can easily imagine and have and have seen in my own life Women who have been who've been the one to bring up oh, such yeah, a thing first, course, yeah. and it be a, and it be the kind of thing where people then question her maternal instincts. Yeah, yeah, right, and, it, sure. and so it's this bizarre, you know, mm. d- double edged knife that it seems to cut both ways depending on mm. who's the bad guy who says it first, mm. who's the first one to bring it up, regardless of what happens after the fact. Yeah. Who brings it up first mm. becomes that. Uh, Man, that thing that's used to gut you, <laughs> gut you later on. Uh, man, can be some rough stuff. But that's yeah. yeah. Let's move away from gender politics because that's that's only part of what the film plays. Of course, with. yeah. 
Do you remember La Dolce Vita? La Dolce what? La Dolce Vita. It was an Italian film. Uh, there was a character in it, a man who was very wise and peaceful, married with two children, loved his wife, and uh, no real problems. And then one night he took a gun, shot his two children, then killed himself. Why? I suppose to save them the world of the future. You wanted to kill him? We have two others already, Evie. This one's all right. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be going to Almanzora. Do you regret it? No, not now. Killing your kids so that not made to suffer from the mistakes we make. <laughs> what what was the director's name? Fellini. Italian. Yes. Of course. A fascist, just like Mussolini. <laughs> They're both crazy. Good night. Mm. Right, on a lighter note, I did get a kind of a chuckle out of the fact that I, I, uh, Eve, uh, Evie, as he calls her, uh, didn't uh, that she doesn't know what a piñata is, <laughs> and she also didn't know that gracias, the gracias, gracias, whatever is the is the word gracias. for is gracias is the word for you know thank you you know and uh, I just thought that was funny because I, I don't know if there's anybody that doesn't know no matter how little well, you know it's like yeah. is, is there anyone that doesn't know what a yeah I know, in seventy six was there that maybe I, mean, I don't was know it that just, common, <laughs> was, was it common knowledge or if maybe British people didn't maybe maybe you didn't grow up actually maybe British maybe, people grew up maybe. not knowing what a pinata was but that just I just that's funny because I mean I knew what that was by the time I was three years old that was like that was like the only first probably the first two things I learned about you know Spain was that's you know, the weird was, colored thing you how beat, to say thank beat. you and that you beat yeah and that there's you something, beat until it squirts until out it, candy right yeah. <laughs> You know, like, I started you know, trying to get them live animals and it never worked. No, I'm kidding. I, not, I would never do that. But, no, uh, like a father. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the, now what the what we should mention, too, is that uh, in this whole opening sequence, something that we, the viewers, are aware of that they are not uh, are that bodies are, have been washing up onto the shore. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, a little subtle dialogue placement lets us know that uh, it may have washed up from uh, the, the offshore islands mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of the way the currents work. Yeah. So that's not creepy. Anyway. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> well, the uh, the the couple uh, hired themselves a boat or rent a boat and uh, head off to the island. We learn from dialogue that it will take them about four hours to get there. Mm-hmm. They uh, they uh, yeah, not a three hour cruise, but uh, <laughs> but uh, before hours they rent the the mailman that the, the guy they rent the boat from is Louis Sidges, who uh, one of our one of many nasty friends. One of our yeah appears in many. We've seen him in I think I counted something like eight films we've covered so far that had him in there. So he's a very prominent face uh, among the Nashi clan, Nashi family. Very, very nice. And he tells them that, you know, they want to get the boat for themselves, and he says that uh, he'll be bringing the mail to the island the next day. Which gives us a timeline and a knowledge that, hey, somebody that we are acquainted with is going to be showing up on the island. Mm-hmm. So that's good to know. So they arrive on the island where they uh, they encounter uh, a, nothing but children at the docks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seem rather... Uh, stoic. As a matter of fact, the, the husband tries to talk to one fishing... One kid who's just fishing off the dock, and a kid not only won't speak to him, but is rather kind of non-verbally hostile. Yeah, especially when he tries to look and see what he's using for bait. Exactly. Now, 
they go they go on into town and it seems that uh, the silent children that they occasionally see around the place is about the only people in town mm-hmm. they walk through the entire town uh, the place is deserted uh, the shops are open uh, there's it looks as if people just got it from their tables and left mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's nobody around it's uh, they try and get they find an ice cream like wagon they try to get ice cream but it's obviously long to, it's long, melted long, yeah. long melted they go into a little ca- uh, cafe and there's like chicken turning on a on a on a spittle, but it's like just it's it's a but it's obviously been turning forever. Yep. It's like burned black. So clearly something's happened in the past day or two that has caused the the parents to up and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now the island is not tiny. No, no. And the husband explains, well, you know, honestly, there's a there's a fishing village. You know, this is the this is the town. There's a on the other side of the island. There's a there's a fishing village, and. Uh, I don't know if there may, there may be a festival over there that they've all gone to, or there's some kind of uh, something that they have to do involving, you know, bringing in a fish harvest. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know. I did, this didn't happen when I was here years and years ago, but, hey, uh, we'll settle in here, try to find somebody, and try to find somebody we can, you know, get a hotel, you know, get into this hotel here and have a room. Mm-hmm. This is a deliberately paced film. This movie... Mm-hmm. Uh, takes place over the course of uh, once they hit the island. Yeah, takes place over the course of a day and a night. Yeah, yeah. The um, entire film really, you could say, lasts less than forty-eight hours. You know, even from the yeah. moment they arrive in the in the off the bus in the first village. I mean, the first uh, the mainland. Right. The joys in this film are watching the the couple slowly. Try to you know try try to locate people. Try to suss out the, this mystery. Where are all the adults? Where are the people? The things to, we see that they don't see, right? Know. And so there's there's not a lot there's not a lot of ways to sit down and break this movie down into this mystery element or that mystery element because they're all variations on the same idea, just done with real skill, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. And they do a great job of bringing together a lot of elements that um, slowly start to not just unnerve you. But then the more that we see, the more we realize this is out of hand. Something's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, we get several different variations on this. One, the, the husband uh, le- leaves the wife in the, in the uh, cool little bar area there, goes off to a, a nearby grocery store to try to, get, try to get some food, something, just so they can eat. And a young girl comes into the place mm-hmm. to, to the wife. Mm-hmm. And she's very, she's very happy looking. She's smiling. She comes mm-hmm. over and she puts her head... To uh, the the expectant mother's belly, as if she's listening to the child, and, it, and it's a very touching thing. And the wife very very much uh, is um, she's very touched by the yeah. The act. She 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 enjoy she she thinks this is sweet. This is just, you know it's a pretty typical thing for for kids to act this way. Mm-hmm. But then the the, ch- the girl never speaks. Yeah, and, and the mother even says, even says at one point, says maybe maybe one day you will have a child, and you know, which is which is yeah. which is really what we know as it comes out. You know that what we know eventually what happens, or just the way the the, the film plays out. You know, we realize that's that that line just has a lot of resonance to it. There, you know, it carries some weight. Yeah, but the, um, the then the girl leaves and never speaks to yeah. the wife at all, and it's kind of unnerving. Yeah. And yeah. she starts to get a little nerve. Now, mm-hmm. 
once again, as time is ticking by, they're still not finding any adults. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there's one point where time, while Tom has gone to get find some supplies that he goes into a grocery, and we see that there's a dead body in one of the aisles, but he never sees it. He never sees it, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is which is an amazing little piece, of, an amazing little piece of uh, direction, and it's very well, very well played. The uh, um, the the moment when, and then he of course you know sees someone close a shade in, a, in, in an upper window. He goes up there. He, he goes up there, and knocks, and there's no one around. Right. It's all the kind of of creepy horror tropes that you would expect in an old dark house. Where someone's trying to find, you know, this who's in this big empty house? There's got to be someone here. Look, the dust is disturbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it all plays out in bright, bright sunlight, and with uh, with very little or no music or sound. And that's there's a great. Almost, I love there's that. almost no music in the film. I know. It's kind of and it's kind of more haunting because of. Oh, it. totally. I tell you, I mean, like you know, usually like you you liken it to a haunted house film. Usually in haunted houses, films they use music to build the tension. Or something, but here that there's no. I almost wish, I almost, I think the movie would have been fine if they had not had any music at all in the movie, but their use of music is very well done and very tastefully done, and they, yeah. they for the most part, they make great decisions on when not to, and mostly through these sequences, what adds to the creepiness is that total lack of sound, and then when a sound does happen, it, it, it just as the fireworks did in the first sequence of the film, whenever a sound does happen, a lot of times it really is, is, is jarring, mm-hmm. you know, when something, when you do get them. It, it kind of jolts you each mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Well, the, um, as the film progresses, they begin to realize something's wrong, and I think we can probably pinpoint the moment when yeah, yeah. <laughs> things go go pear shaped, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything everything <laughs> goes batshit. Yeah, which is basically when uh, they spot a young they they the Tom comes back. Evelyn says, "Hey, I just I just saw an old man right down there mm-hmm. walking uh walking down walking from one area one." side of the street to the other right down there he has a cane right over there go look he went into that doorway Tom goes down and then a, a young uh, a young girl appears before he can get there and the young girl appears and before we see the old man we see her grab his cane mm-hmm. struggle it away from him and then even though the, the, the old man is out of our view while this is happening, she just uses the cane to wail on this old man until he is dead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tom runs over and uh, takes takes the cane away from her, tries to stop her, but it's it's far too late at that point. Yeah. And she just giggles and laughs. She's yeah, kind of she's giggling and laughing yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And runs off. Mm-hmm. Now, this girl I would put at about 11 or 12, yeah. around in there, maybe 13 at the oldest, and uh, this gleeful murder of this older man mm-hmm. is uh, rather hideous. Now, Tom, Evelyn has not followed him. So Tom takes the old man's body and, and picks it up and takes it inside this little courtyard and um, puts it down kind of out of sight. Clearly with the idea that he's not going to tell his, he's not going to tell his wife exactly what happened. Leaves the body there in the courtyard. Goes back to Evelyn, who demands, in, "You know, what? Where, where's the old man? What happened?" He tries to lie to her about the fact. Oh, he's he's just a little hurt. I took him uh, to his home and, and put him to bed. She, of course, buys none of this. Well, and that's I'm glad you brought that. That's that's something I like to pre- appreciate about this is the fact that, that that she isn't having any of his very very lame attempts to to. Uh, I mean, I see where he's he's coming from. He's trying to just keep a lid on and trying to keep her calm. Right. 
but I do also appreciate that she sees through it immediately. You know that she in no way is like yeah. <laughs> swayed by you know swayed by his attempts to. I, to yeah, I, very I don't believe any of your crap. Yeah. Where is the old man? Yeah, and without him actually coming out and finally saying it, she finally gets the idea. Mm. The old man's dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, from that point, we and they know something terrible is going on. We mm. we now begin to suspect that we may know where all the adults are, mm. or at least where they are not. Yeah, they are not alive. So we're beginning to we're beginning to see the the the, the structure of this, and also it gets a little creepier in that the we we then see is it right after this or soon after soon after this. We see that the children have found the old man's body, have strung it up by its feet, and uh, are using a scythe mm-hmm. to play pinata with the old man's yeah. body. Well, if my memory's right, I think Tom actually sees that after he's gone to... I mean, I think he sees that even before he gets back and starts trying to to tell Evie that. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, right. I think no. even... And that's what makes it even more... But I mean, you know, we're realizing, but he's 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 seen that and actually gets really physically ill at seeing what the kids are doing, and then he goes back to Evie and tries to tell her that everything's okay, you know, that yeah. the man was just was injured, you know, and so so yeah. But I think she can tell by his his demeanor that that he's really seen something that's shaking him pretty bad, and uh, yeah, that's a just a yeah, that's a really amazing scene with the, where they're on the pinata. And, We'll say right here, you talked about how that girl was giggling after she beat up the old man. It's like, with the exception of a couple of kids who we later kind of discern are sort of the leaders of the other children in some way that we're never totally able to define, but are obviously leaders. Most of these kids never really act act out of out of seeming hostility. You know, they seem like the whole time that they're even when they're attacking, even though that it's sort of a game. You know, they sort of all have yeah. that demeanor that this is all in fun or their version of fun, you know, that, that it's all, all kind of in the spirit of, of, of play without any experience. Like you don't get a sense of real hatred or, or rage among them, you know? No, but there, but there's a definite, uh, there's a definite tone of, um, violence without pity. Yeah, sure. And, but mm-hmm. it's, it, it does come off most of the time as the kind of violence without pity of, of a very young child who does not know yeah. what he's doing exactly. Well, that gets back to that question of, you know, we talked earlier, use the word innocent for children. And, and, and that's, yeah, that's the reason why we, we hurt so much for why it seems the worst that children suffer from the atrocities of the action of adults is we just naturally think of children as innocent, but children also can be some of the most unthinkingly cruel yeah, beings on earth, you know, but uh, because of that, you know, because because visit any high school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the um, slow build, slow burn of this film is. While rewatching this movie, I thought I kept thinking to myself, "Oh, then this is a this is a classic slow burn film." And then as I'm yeah. rewatching it, I'm re- I'm realizing that, well, yes, it is, but I never feel the slow burn aspects of it. In other words, I never feel as if it's slowly creeping towards something because the film so very carefully parses out the information that it's the information that it intends to give you bit by bit by bit. Mm -hmm. And even once you feel you have full comprehension of the situation, there's still more information that it gives about details Mm -hmm. in the, uh, the, the beautiful moment, uh, later on when we finally do run across an adult, uh, a man who mm-hmm. we we should point out that uh, that Tom does uh, look through some of the other hotel rooms there on the on in the uh, hotel there on the island, and and realizes that the other guests who've been staying there have been killed. Yeah, well, and they well because they and they get some phone calls from a from a female voice right that that's been calling on the phone that they answer and they can't really understand her because she's speaking in German. 
But but they that's another way. They, and I think that that's also helps in uh, making sense of, you know, why they linger as long as they do is because they're actually trying to see if there's other people who need help or right. maybe have an answer to what's going on. And so I think it makes perfect sense that they try to find these people that they try and locate, you know, right. who, who else is, is here somewhere on the island. And, you know, the, these periodic calls from someone that they can't understand and they don't mm. even know where the person might be. Yeah. Is one of the things that keeps them pu- keeps them puzzled and keeps mm. us curious as well. Yeah. Now, we do eventually meet uh, a, a local, uh, an adult man, a middle-aged man, who uh, has survived this, this mess up to now. He's been hiding in a, a, a room upstairs in the, in the hotel, mm-hmm. and eventually comes down, and after a tense kind of standoff between all three of them, that is very, very well handled by all three actors. It is very well yeah. handled by the, by the character of Evelyn to, to de-escalate the tension between all of them. <clears throat> and this and this and this stranger they meet is played by Antonio Aranzo, who uh, we've seen in Cutthroats Nine and Inquisition and the Cantabrians. Another good actor. Yeah, but the uh, they sit him down, get you know, get some uh, some liquid into him, and start questioning him about you know what has happened, and he doesn't have any good answers because he tells it. He, he can tells just tell him what, what happened. he's seen. Yeah, and what what happened is that you know the 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 kids. Just started killing everybody, mm. and um, there doesn't seem to have been any instigating uh, incident. No, 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 you know, light from the sky. No yeah. Uh, yeah. bad food. No, nothing of this nature. They just started doing it the day before. Yeah, he uh, and and one of the things that really stand out is <clears throat> is very uh, chilling and powerful about his recounting of it is what happened to him personally was that you know he saw he. He grabbed, had, took a gun to protect himself when he saw that they were going in and out of houses and he was hearing screaming. Uh, when they, his wife was, I think, either outside or was looking outside and the children came for her and he couldn't protect her with a gun. He couldn't bring himself to fire. Uh, now, this may be, may be one moment where the dialogue maybe goes a little too literal as far as too... Because he, he does say, because who can kill a child? I think it might have even been... Better if it had just stopped when he said, but I couldn't, because the unspoken thing is because yes, yeah. the inability that he, even though it was his wife, he couldn't bring himself to fire into it at children you know, with the, yeah. and with the gun. I, 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 I can go either way. On yeah, the, I mean, it wasn't a line, major ride. I mean, it's, but I, the, the way the actor delivered it sold it very effectively. Oh, he's effectively. very good. Oh, he's a great uh, scene. His whole performance is really, really good. Mm-hmm. It is. And to make it even darker, mm-hmm. the man's daughter yeah. shows yeah. up. Yeah. Crying, yeah. pleading with him that mm. you know, Father, Father, please, please come, come with me. You know, the, this, mm. this, this person is hurt. That please, mm. just, just come with me, come with me. And both Tom and Evelyn are like, I don't think you need, I don't think you yeah. need to do this. I think this is a bad idea. And that horrible, haunted look on mm. that man's face, yeah, as he takes his daughter's hand, walks up, walks off down the street with her. In full knowledge that yeah, you, this is gonna end with me being murdered. Yeah, you can tell that he doesn't. Yeah, it's not like she's so. I mean, he knows. He what's knows she's lying. But, he but knows she's, he's being but he's, played. But it's yeah. like, but she's his daughter, so he has to go with her. You know, it's a, it's, it's that, it's that, again, it's that ultimately that adult or that parental bond protection of your child. You know that yeah. that even in the normal sane world here, the adults suffer and 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 sacrifice so much for their children. And you know <laughs> that that is. I mean, there's this film. This is a film packed with good scenes. Oh, good it really? Sequences. Is, yeah. I, I I I tried to kind of enumerate as I went through the film again, trying to figure out which what are the most effective scenes. And 
I'm always I, I, the, the most effective scenes. This is one of the three for me most mm. effective scenes. This whole <clears> scene <throat> with the actor, his whole performance, and then his walking off down the street with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It is. It's very well done. It's very touching. It's it's kind of it's kind of heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when we get to the other two scenes, I'll talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so okay, the. Uh, the, the Tom and Evelyn realize, okay, fine, we we can't. There's no way to communicate off this island. Mm. We still don't know where this person is. The uh, uh, we still don't know where this uh, this either Dutch lady or German lady or whatever she is. We can't we can't find her. But then he finally does. They figure out where she might be. Tom rushes there. Mm. Um. But he's too late. Yeah. Uh, by the time he has figured out where they are, so have the chi- where she is, so have the mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. He gets there, and he really all he can discover is her body. Yeah. They uh, realize they've got to get off the island, but that presents mm-hmm. its own problem. Right. Because when they try to leave, mm-hmm. the children appear and block their way toward the toward the dock toward the road toward the docks. Mm-hmm. They're in a they're in a jeep that uh, yeah. Tom has commandeered, and he's like, "Okay, fine, fine." Yeah. So he drives completely the other way and goes to the other side of the island mm-hmm. where the fishing village is. Mm-hmm. And this this is a this is an amazing sequence as well because this gives us some more information. We get to the uh, other side of the island where there's this little tiny fishing village. There's one <laughs> after some some creepy waiting yeah, because we're right, not sure not this. Really we see sure. some children playing in the mm-hmm. surf there on the mm-hmm. rocks. And then uh, an older woman appears out of the house, out of the house there, and she's fine, and the kids seem fine, so everything seems to be okay. So he drives down. They talk to the they talk to the to the middle aged lady, tell her what the situation is. The fishermen are still out on their boats. They won't mm-hmm. be back for a few hours. Mm-hmm. And she she seems rather perplexed by this entire thing because she's she doesn't know anything. She knows of nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Children. What did the man in the pens here tell you? Just that something strange had happened to the kids on the island. Strange? But what? I don't know. Some sort of madness. I don't understand it. Where are we going now? There are a few houses on the other side of the island. We might be able to find a boat there. Where are all the adults? Where are the people? Where are they, Tom? But why did we go down there? There are children there. Tom, what is happening to these children? I don't know. It just isn't possible that all of them have gone mad. And I don't understand why they've been attacking. It's as though they thought we adults were their enemy. Perhaps the children on this island, either by instinct by an evolutionary development, I've started to... To what? Come on. And I like that in this sequence we see some of the just kind of casual parental 
slapping uh, uh, children. Yeah, sure, just yeah. The yeah. Uh, the what, um, oh. especially for the time and definitely for the place, would have just been, you know, parental discipline this of just, the almost. This is a daily. This is yeah, just their secondary nature. nature. Yeah. Yeah. Right, this is right. not. This is not actual punishment. This is just you just know. This is how we interact with our kids every day. They're staying right. in the, their way. They need to go outside. You just cuff them a couple of times on the head and make sure they get the point that they need to go outside. Kids are supposed to stay outside. You know. Like, I know, and it's. Uh, it, it, I, Forty years on, it's it's kind of a, a horrible thing to watch. Yeah. But in the in the case of the, in the case of this film, even at the time, I think it would have been the kind of thing that goes that that, that would key in your mind the thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that probably builds up some anger and resentment. Yeah. That, yeah. that probably I, I remember being pissed off at that kind of thing <laughs> sure. when it was done to me when I was a kid. Sure, right. Yeah. And that kind of thing builds yeah. over time, and you're not mm-hmm. making that go away easy. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. Uh, we see some of the ki- a couple of the kids from the town that mm-hmm. we've begun to recognize. We've begun to recognize the faces kind of, of some the, of the yeah, kids right, from the town, right? And they show up <clears throat> and they start to interact. And I choose that word carefully. Interact mm-hmm. with the kids there in the little fishing village. Mm-hmm. And there's no physical contact. Mm-hmm. There are no words spoken. Mm-hmm. They just look at each other, and with wordless communication it becomes evident that now these kids have whatever it is that all the other yeah. kids have these kids now are part of the um i don't know what do we call them cult well yeah i had a i had a slight problem very slight very slight with, with how what? that scene okay. was done i kind of wish that they had not even gone as far as they did and in a way it, it's not an explanation at all about what's going on because this film is very much like the birds, you know, it's like you never, never like right. Hitchcock's the birds. You never, you know, never get an explanation for exactly what's going on, which is fine. And because of that, I actually wish that because here you, you we sort of focus in on two the two kids who suddenly seem to be we've suddenly started to realize are almost like the ringleaders of all this. Right. You know, the two boys, the dark haired boy and then the little taller, lighter haired boy. And when they come to see these kids here that are that that we've we've already figured out these kids are are not tainted yet or not gone nuts yet or whatever you know and then they meet these kids and like you said we get the close ups on their eyes and it almost seems like a hypnotism of sorts you know uh, there's definitely a communication of some kind um, and I actually wish that it wouldn't have even given us that I think that it would like in other words identified any two kids as like the instigators of this and I what I think I would have rather the scene have done. Would you see those kids arrive, and you see that they're coming to, they're approaching these children, you know, then you cut back inside, or then, you know, then you cut back to the women, the woman, the mother coming out, and all the kids are just turned to face her, you know, and I think that would be all you would need to know, that they've, something has happened between those kids. So you would want to keep it even more mysterious? Even more mysterious, I would, because if you're going to, because if you're not going to give us an explanation then I would really have not even gone so far as to suggest that it's some sort of mental telepathy or some sort of, because it cuts on their eyes really makes it seem almost like it's a, like I said, again, like they're passing something, some sort of telepathy or hypnosis is like, and then you start. Something kind of like uh, invasion of the body. Well, what I was saying, it does explain the alternate title of Island of the Damned because then it starts making you think of village of the damned and children of the damned. True. Something like that. Uh, But like I said, that's a very, very minor thing, but I just kind of wish that it maybe had not even like given us that as like, even like it could have kept, because I love some of the theories that are thrown out there about why, like, the Tom even throws out, 
you know, he theorizes at points in the film, like, you know, do the, are the kids seeing adults as, are, and as enemies now? There's another one where he says something about even evolution. He said his evolution suddenly started to... Or, or acting as antibodies. Yeah. And the thing, one thing that I loved as a possible, I just love the whole idea of this, what these kids are doing as being a mockery of these festivals, you know, that, uh, that, that oh, the no, adults I can, have. I can, agree, I can agree with that, yeah. I, I really like that because the whole idea that when adults have these festivals, like the famous Carnival, you know, that's in you know, like Brazil or whatever, you know, yeah, that they have, yeah. you know, Mardi Gras, things like that, where, you know, kids see adults get to go have these festivals and act like children, to go nuts, you know, to, to kind of let their Dionysian side, you know, their heathen side, you know, go, but... The idea that kids would emulate this without adult restraints, I kind of like that idea. Is like they start having their own version of festival, but they don't have the adult sensibilities of of what's acceptable and what's not. You know, yeah. so it's. I thought that 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 to me is a real neat idea, concept, or something. So again, I, I just I just once the film was going to put itself as being vague, I, I think it could have gone even more in that direction, or could have like even not given us that much. You know, where it's just just totally open to interpretation and it still is but it's just the fact that it identifies a couple of these kids is obviously the masterminds of this well, see that's I, just it you're yeah. you're reading something into the scene that I never read in okay okay you're reading these two kids as the masterminds of the, of the other kids and that's not what I see what I'm seeing is that because I, I never in my mind mm-hmm. read this as those two kids okay. were the leaders necessarily mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that they're the ones that then go and infect other kids okay. I think those kids would have been infected by contact with any of the kids. Okay. In okay. other words, cool. I see this. I think the not, reason I felt those two kids were because they're the most serious of all the children. That so many of the other children never agreed, seem to be serious agreed. to it all. Whereas these two kids from the first seem to be. Well, they seem to be the, They seem more. to be the eldest. Yeah. And that I think is the reason for their their different demeanor. Mm. They seem to be older. And uh, they don't seem to be controlling the other kids by any stretch of the imagination, but they do seem to be the ones who are looking at this as a change in the way the world works. This is a new paradigm. Mm-hmm. We're going to be sit- we're sitting at the top of this. We don't need no education. We don't yeah, need no thought control. yeah. There you go. There you <laughs> no go. Dark exactly. sarcasm in the yeah. <laughs> and the the so I d- I didn't see this as the two leaders okay. taking taking the disease to a new group of children. I think that this change overcoming all the children could have been affected by any of the kids mm-hmm. being there with those kids from the fishing village. I, I see, I see where you would obje- I see where you, your minor objection mm-hmm. uh, has merit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a matter of fact, maybe it would work better without uh, giving us an idea, you know, giving us the, the, the methodology through mm-hmm. which the uh, silent communication happens. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, no. never, never seeing the kids move from, you know, from, for lack of better terms, good to evil. Yeah, I it's don't just kind of like those others. Yeah, you know, there's something's happened between them, but the next time we see them, it's already happened, and they're just. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, very small thing. Like I said, I, it's it's still a great. I mean, it's 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 still. Uh, however you look at it, I think it's cool that we had those different inter- inter- interpretations because that you know that's the way this whole film is. It's so open to, to so much. Yeah, that and, and it's how one you of the, want to read it. It's one of the many things that I really I really find impressive about it. So uh, they um, Tom and Evelyn uh, decide to drive back to the town. They go back to the town and they re- they realize they just they I mean they're not going to be able to drive through the kids. Right. They think that maybe after dark they'll be able to. The kid, maybe the kids won't show up. They'll be able to drive through the town and get and get down to the dock, get on the boat, get the hell out. But that does not happen. That does no. not happen. Once again, all the kids show up and just essentially stand there blocking the, 
the jeep's way through the town. They they bail out and decide to hole up. They 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 just they just run. They run from the kids. The kids at that point begin chasing them, and it becomes a chase and kill game for the kids. And uh, this is the segment of the film that takes place at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's fascinating that um, as scary and as kind of unnerving and creepy as the film has been in bright, sunny daylight, mm-hmm. once night has fallen and Tom and Evelyn have thought we, maybe we can use the night to escape, mm-hmm. the kids seem to use the night as cover for just a mass attack on the two of them. Mm-hmm. And so they chase them into the... Uh, into this uh, room on the lo- on the lower floor of one of the buildings. I think it's the hotel room. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the, the one. Of, I think it's in the hotel. The Tom and Evelyn barricade themselves in there. At this point, they have the uh, the, the man's uh, pistol, but of course, they've not been able to bring themselves to use it. They lock themselves in this in this uh, little storeroom in the back, barricade the door. The children, and this is, I want to talk about this for a second because we're we're leading up on one of my favorite scenes and one of the things that makes this one of my two or one of my three favorite scenes in the movie honestly Mm -hmm. is that the kids when they mass this attack upon them and come after them in force they act like a hive animal there's no communication verbal Mm-hmm. communication. Right. Yeah. They're not talking amongst each other about strategy yeah. and tactics. Right. There's right. no discussion amongst them of what to do next or how to do it. They just do it. Mm-hmm. Down to the point where some of the kids very very quickly ju- run off down the place, run off down the hallway and mm-hmm. find something they can use as a battering ram against the door. Mm-hmm. Not a word is said as if these children <laughs> Worked this out long ago, mm-hmm. and there's no there's no dialogue required between any of them, or that they're communicating in a way that we're not able to hear. Yeah. Now, um, that is creepy. That whole section is creepy, and it's made creepier. Yeah. <laughs> by the fact that they're not talking. Right. Yeah. But it starts to be, it starts to beg the question. Okay, now we are watching them outside of the view of the adults. Mm-hmm. They have no reason to put on any any show. There's no uh, reason for. Uh, artifice of any type and there's no talking mm-hmm. are they telepathic mm-hmm. well, well we'll never know right i like the idea of the evolutionary leap forward or mm-hmm. the the um and this is a one of one of my favorite you know pet junk science theories mm-hmm. the idea that uh we when we're younger when when we're children we have certain capabilities or at least the the um the openness to certain capabilities and uh, that Atrophy, mm-hmm. if they're not used like any mm-hmm. like anything else, and mm-hmm. so by the time you're an adult, those the 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 ability to access these particular abilities have just gone, mm-hmm. uh, and it makes me wonder uh, if that would be a valid way to look at it. Is mm-hmm. there's this uh, telepathic ability between these that these kids have gotten that have just gotten turned that somehow yeah. by some you know method of some of some type has somehow been turned on yeah. And it's mm-hmm. it's fascinating because they work like ants. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they shot the whole sequence mm-hmm. is shot mm-hmm. above them, yeah. looking down on them like you're watching ants from mm-hmm. above. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely yeah. fascinating. It is. I, I agree. I agree. I love this whole kind of siege sequence here. You yeah, know, where they're yeah. you know. Now, unfortunately, even though the uh, the the kids are, are battering in there, there is a small window in this room, and one of the smaller children has taken it upon himself to try to crawl through that window. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, in this entire, uh, in this uh, sad scuffle, the husband did drop the pistol. Mm-hmm. This little child is handed the pistol. Mm-hmm. And while crouching in this little window up there while the other kids are attempting to batter in the door, is trying his damnedest, but he's such a young little tyke yeah, yeah, to, to get the hammer, hammer back, back on the revolver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the time he's able to get it back and pointed, mm-hmm. Evelyn has spotted him, Tom spots him, and Tom ends up shooting the kid. Mm-hmm. Now, he's completely justified oh, yeah. in his actions here. We tell ourselves that, but... But there's the other part of this that he's absolutely horrified. Right. Evelyn is absolutely horrified. And to add to the creep factor, the minute he kills that kid, the kids outside trying to batter in the door stop, mm-hmm. set that battering ram down, and they all walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole sequence is one of my favorite in the movie, and it's unnerving on yeah. so yeah. many levels. Yeah. The obvious one, of course. <laughs> you, yeah. you watch a, a, an adult human murder a child, but at the same time, by the time he does, what he, he has yeah. no other choice. Right, right. I mean, what is yeah, he going to do? He's got to write it to try and survive, especially since he's, you know, he's not, he's definitely the the one being, I mean, he's definitely the victim in this, in this sense, the one being attacked, victimized. Yeah. And yet you still don't feel any kind of great satisfaction or something about seeing, you know, it's still, it's still, you know, you're also, even though you understand his total motivation for doing it, you know, and, and justification, you know, it, he has it's, every it's, reason, it's still yeah. a brutal scene, you know, and it's yeah. still, it's, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a stark, it's a stark and a harsh scene. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that I've not seen in a, in a, another horror film that I can think of off the top of my head. I've seen the death of children in, di- in different yeah. movies, but this is the first time where, it felt um, everything surrounding it yeah. felt so much more off kilter and strange to the point where mm-hmm. everything was punctuated by that death, mm-hmm. and every it seems as if the whole film built to a crescendo of noise and sound and mm-hmm. awfulness, mm-hmm. and then just whoosh, yeah. Yeah. silence. Yeah, and it's not an artificial manipulation yeah. of the soundtrack. It, yeah. it is mm-hmm. the way the story is being told. Yeah. It is. Everyone walks away. It's it's a fantastic sequence. It's one of those things. It's one of those uh, moments in uh, Spanish horror cinema from the seventies that, if anybody had any doubts mm. about the the filmmaking capabilities, mm. the skill level, mm. the the ability to, mm. to tell a story well, to, <clears throat> to to communicate emotion mm. and and horror and uh, nuanced and and carefully felt mo- mm. moments of emotion. Uh, watch the sequence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> watch the sequence and watch your own watch your own emotional roller coaster just mm-hmm. roll up and down and down and down and down. And it's down. great to to experience a film like this that is just so completely at the opposite end of the spectrum from something like Werewolf Shadow, you know, or something which you yeah. know also another great film. But this is not a gothic in any sense. You know, this is not yeah. castles and fog and you know what a lot of people think the typical. Spanish horror or European horror film is, you know, right. which, you know, taking gothic tropes and mixing it with sex and violence or that, you know, there's that that's part of it. But this is one that's actually mired in. I mean, this is steeped in or just, you know, completely reality. You know, this is yeah. a completely done as a realistic, you know, film, you know, and, yeah. and including down to the use of sound and the lack of too much soundtrack music. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's great to have a film like this 
to cover as well, just to kind of once again show that aspect of of you know a Spanish filmmakers really tapping into the true you know that real seventies kind of ultra realistic sort of vein of, of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah the uh, the realistic horror that uh, mm. the seventies the became known yeah, for and right. then yeah. burned into your brain. Yeah, yeah. Is there a bath? What'd you say? I'm bathed in sweat. I think I even smell of it. I'd give anything for a shower. Hey, there are other tourists on Elmanthora. Are they English? Dutch. It's a married couple and a girl. Could it have been a Dutch person? What? Well, the voice on the phone. You said it sounded like a boy speaking Dutch. Where are you going? Uh, the keys for six and seven aren't there. They might be upstairs. So the couple spend this night in uh, this this first and only night we see yeah, on this yeah. island uh, here in this little room, horrified. Of course, the blood of the the blood of the small child mm-hmm. like just dripping down the wall there from the little right. little window. Right. Horrified at what Tom had to do to save to save them from this kid. Mm-hmm. That's not where the horror ends in this no, particular room. No, the not. trapped in the room. Um, during the night, Evelyn begins to feel a lot of pain. Mm. Uh, at first, it seems that, you know, like we would all begin to think, oh, shit, she's, she's going into labor. She's going to labor, right. Um, which, you know, anxiety-induced labor, the, mm. all the running around she's been having to yeah. do, the, yeah. of course, horror of all this situation, natural thought. Mm. But turns out it's even worse than that. Mm. Because it appears that her unborn child has kind of fallen under the influence of all the rest of the children on this mm-hmm. island and is, as she says in the dialogue, tearing her apart, ripping into her. Yeah, yeah. And the, her unborn fetus is killing her. Mm-hmm. And Tom can't do anything other than just yeah. sit there and try to hold his wife and comfort her. What can he do sure, as yeah. he sits there and watches the unborn fetus murder its mother? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing graphic about this scene. No. There's uh, not even blood. There's nothing of that nature. It is simply done through uh, the dialogue and the performances and the realization that this is something that we kind of, that if you look back to when that young girl came and listened to the baby, you did begin to wonder as the film has led you down the path of discovering how these, how this whatever it is passes from child to child, how it might possibly interact with an unborn child. And now we know. I thought it was a brilliant thing to do. I mean, brilliant yes. story twist. Not what I was expecting. It totally caught me by surprise. What I thought was going to happen was I thought that the... that. Evelyn would be spared because she was carrying a child. I thought it was going to be that old thing about, you know, which, you yeah. know, which still could have been effective in its own way, but I think this is even more horrifying and brilliant, you know, this, this twist here. And it's, there's a, how, do, how, how else to put this other than a child aborting its parent? Yeah, yeah. And uh, considering, you know, as we talked about before, the, the, the t- these two people did have a discussion before they decided to carry the child to term mm-hmm. about... Yeah. The possibility of aborting the child, mm. and in this case, the the child has reversed mm. that particular situation and taken its um, 
its aggressive activities out on the parent, which of course is also a suicide pact sure. for a fetus. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, and um, it's a grisly idea. It it's, is. It's it a, is. it's a terrible idea, and it almost has the um, the effect for me of putting. And the film doesn't rub your nose in this idea, but it does put you in mind of how do you view abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because that's definitely one of the one of the questions it brings up for sure. Yeah, yeah. Know? I mean, and it's not pointing fingers. It's no, not. No, it's, it's not really making not. accusations. It's not preaching. Nothing. Nothing of that nature. But it puts you firmly in mind of what this is, which is mm-hmm. a reverse abortion. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. This mm-hmm. is the child killing its parent. Mm-hmm. One of the strangest bouts of matricide I've yeah. ever seen in my life. Yeah. And it's terrifying. the The movie plays with so many different ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, after 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 we uh, get through the plot, I want to discuss some of the things, some of the cultural things and societal things that have been that swirl around mm-hmm. this film and uh, the time in which it was made. But just that idea alone, and the fact that Spain is such a Catholic country, mm-hmm. does bring the idea of. Um, the fact that these are tourists, these are mm. these are others, these are not Catholics. Right. It brings their interloper status mm. into a different light, mm. uh, and, it, and, it, and it's an odd point. Of, it's an it's an odd point, and it brings up a certain level of discussion that I think the film is is kind of ballsy to even play with. Yeah, yeah. But uh, nevertheless, the uh, sequence ends with Tom alone. He's got um, a uh, kind of uh, MP40 machine mm. gun. Mm-hmm. He's 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 able. He was able to use once on that 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 child when he was under the gun, so to speak, when he was under direct threat. And so the um, question then becomes for him, you know, what can he do? So his he very clearly decides he's going to he's you know the sun's up now. I'm going to try to get off the island again. I've got to get out of here. He may, he he makes a play for it. We have the the same problem with the children blocking the way. This is the moment where the film has a truly iconic image. Which is a shot of the children all bunched together in the uh, the road in the uh, kind of roadway there in the town. Him standing there facing them with the gun, the uh, machine gun held down beside his leg because he's not even aiming it at the children yeah. because he just can't. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's worn out. He's disgusted. He, he he doesn't know what to do with himself. He's a man at the end of his tether. Yeah, and it's a, essentially a kind of standoff there between the children and himself. And he finally brings up the machine gun and mows down a few of the kids. He actually shoots several of them. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them kind of scatter enough for him to run past them and out toward the dog. Yeah. Now, he immediately throws the gun down. down. We don't know if he ran out of... The burst he fires is a very short one. It yeah. doesn't make an obvious play of, of depicting whether he has run out of bullets or if that's literally all he can bear to do you know like if that's as far as he can go that he can't bear to do anymore because there's no he doesn't look at the gun try and fire it or anything he just drops it so either he's either he's it's we're meant to think he's out of bullets or we're meant to to think that that's you know that's that's all he could that all he could do you know that and and possibly could have if it's still if that if he still had bullets left in it he possibly could have saved himself had he continued to carry the gun with him but the fact that he doesn't once again shows that i think it's kind of to show that his He's still his horror over what he's having to do is still something that's that's wrestling with his will to survive. Yeah, exactly. I I always got the feeling every time I watch that scene where he just drops the gun, 
that it is more along the lines of he's just that's all they can bear. To, that's all they can bring himself to do. He can't. Yeah. Bear, he can't bear anymore. Yeah, yeah. So he runs down to the dock. The, the children are in full pursuit. He gets to his boat, which is still there. Nothing has been damaged. Um, and as he attempts to uh, un, uh, unmoor the, the boat, the children swarm onto the boat. Uh, he starts trying to... Uh, he, he's, he's hitting them with oars, uh, knocking them into the water, trying, you know, trying to save himself. But at the same time, a uh, Spanish military slash kind of police patrol boat... Uh, Arrives. The crew see what's going on, and they think that Tom is killing the children in cold blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, an officer draws a weapon on him, <clears throat> ordering him to stay still. When he doesn't, the uh, officer shoots Tom dead, and he falls into the water. And, of um, course, as much as we're hoping that Tom can get away, it, it makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah. That's the actual, that, that is probably the conclusion that any adults coming upon the scene would have made. They would instantly feel protective of the children and put the blame on the adult. Well, yeah, it reminds me very much of the, like the end of the night of night of living dead. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The, um, the obvious idea from a distance is Mm. sadly not the truth. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think if you had to draw, you know, to boil this down to the, the film's, Greatest influences are going to be the birds and not the living dead. You yeah, know, it's it's uh, and of course it's definitely in line with you know the whole thing with the birds with the, the whole right around that time we were having so many of the nature in revolt kind of films, Day of the Animals, you know, frogs and all that stuff, and really children are the closest thing to a natural being like a you know when when you know when a child is the closest a human being is going to come to being something almost of an of a, a feral creature and a, 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 a more closest to nature you know and so that, I think the film kind of falls into that genre as well even though it's dealing with humans not animals well that's true I'd not put it in that in, I'd not put it in that genre but you're quite right it does fit well within the uh, kind of nature attacks mm-hmm. kind of subgenre especially the uh, the films made in the 70s you're right mm-hmm. um, I had always leaned toward as you were saying earlier, the birds and Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. but it does fit that as well. That's a, that's an interesting take. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. We see the patrol bo- the patrol boat dock. Uh, the officers begin tending to the injured children, and uh, when the officer who shot Tom says aloud, "Just you know, like what kind of man could do this?" Mm-hmm. When asked where the the parents are, the children point toward the town, and the three officers begin to leave, leaving their boat and weapons <clears throat> unsecured. Not thinking, obviously. Yeah, yeah. One officer is stopped by a child calling out goodbye, and he turns to see the children have boarded the patrol boat and are unloading its small arms inventory. <laughs> One of the boys kills the three officers with a rifle. Mm. Boom. The movie ends, and this is a great little sequence. First of all, by the way, the whole chase and death of Tom sequence is my third favorite oh, it's sequence. Been, it's, yeah, it is great. It's very well done. But this beautiful little coda, <clears throat> this mm. beautiful, mm. amazing little coda at the end of the film is kind of like, you know, favorite favorite scene 3.1. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be with the the movie ends with a, a small group of children kind of preparing to head to the main, to mainland Spain on a, on a motorboat, taking care to go with low numbers so they can avoid suspicion. You hear them talking. When one girl asks, do you think the other children will start playing the way we do? Mm-hmm. The boy in charge grins and says, oh, yes. There are lots of children in the world. Mm-hmm. Lots of them. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how that movie ends mm-hmm. with the idea that 
uh, it's an, it, it, the idea of the apocalypse is coming and it's, it's yeah, in the form of children. children. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go back to the, uh, you know, go back to the, the opening credits, you know, and like maybe, maybe it's not an undeserved apocalypse, you know, maybe it's an apocalypse right. we've had coming, you yeah, know, it's, it's, <laughs> because it's of our willingness to use children as collateral, you know, to accept children as collateral damage, you know, to, you know, to, to, Something that the film, I, I don't even think in that opening uh, sequence even touches on is the, the prevalence of child soldiers in different parts yeah. of the world as yeah. well, which yeah. is hideous. It's mm. horrendous taking mm. away of a child's oh, yeah. entire life, turning them into murderers, turning them into killers, and taking away whatever they may have been, turning them into these hideous, unthinking soldiers with a lifespan of, that can be measured in months sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the you know not 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 to get off on a tangent with that kind of thing but it is the kind of stuff that this movie makes you start to consider and reconsider and and think again it's not so much that it changes your opinions on these things it just brings some of it into such sharp focus that it's hard to turn away mm-hmm. not just a, a strong movie but a powerful and sometimes i want to say i want i want to i want to lower the boom and use a particular word that i don't use a lot mm-hmm. when we're talking about horror films but the film is almost important, mm-hmm. in my opinion, yeah. to get across certain ideas because, mm-hmm. first of all, it's entertaining. Yeah, okay? yeah um, it is. Without belaboring the fact that it is, of course, a, a downbeat and dark film with an ending that is uh, a punch to the groin area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it go, it's going to keep your interest for mm-hmm. all 150 minutes. Mm-hmm. You are your 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 attention will not wander. You will be curious as to what the hell is happening next. Uh, the performances are very good. The dialogue is well done. It is yeah. beautifully photographed. It is well directed. Mm-hmm. It is tense suspense. It is uh, well crafted when uh, when uh, the action when the action sequences start. Mm-hmm. It is well done. It is um, hard to find flaw with this film. Yeah. Other than the fact that it does leave. The, the taste of ashes in your mouth, and that yeah. is its intention. That sure, is yeah, its yeah, aim. It's, yeah, yeah. So, this is a this is I consider this to be one of the one of the best Spanish mm-hmm. horror films of the nineteen seventies. I've I've said that before, being mm-hmm. kind of glib or off to the side because mm-hmm. it's a film that we hadn't touched on before. But now that we're discussing now that we're discussing it mm-hmm. at length, I want to say that this is one of the five or six best Spanish horror films of the seventies, and it and it shines in a way that. Some of my favorites of the genre don't necessarily shine. I'm a huge monster movie fan. If you've paid any yeah, attention course, to these yeah. podcasts, you know I'm a huge yeah. monster movie fan. I love love my supernatural horror. But a movie like this stretches outside the bounds of the genre in which it is a clearly a part of. No one no one making this thought they were doing any they were doing uh some kind of uh drama. They everybody knew we're making a horror movie. Yeah. We're here to yeah. scare and creep the hell of the, the the audience wants is going to be frightened of this film. Well period. this is not a film that you also you don't have to make some of the concessions you normally have to make towards a lot of typical Euro horror that we do because we love it, but we see we often have to throw out that thing about it's an acquired taste or like okay you're right. gonna you have to look past the plot holes or you're gonna look past the logic. I mean this really doesn't I mean this just holds together in, in so many ways, you know, that, that uh, other than the fact that, yes, they leave the ultimate, they leave a lot of things unexplained, but it's all intentional. It's not a case of some of the movies you watch where it's like, okay, it looks like they sort of forgot the film they were making in this scene in order to do this that looks cool but really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, there's really none of that kind of thing, really, I don't oh, think. No, no, you know, no, no, it's, not it's at a, all. 
I think the performances are terrific, and uh, uh, starting with the main couple yes. there. That uh, and I did want to mention that uh, oddly enough, uh, uh, the guy who plays Tom, uh, Louis Fiander, who had sixty three, I think, or sixty five credits to his to his name, something like that. Actually, yeah. ju- including Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde, uh, Doctor Fives Rises Again, and the Doctor and the Devils. Correct. He was in all his films. He actually just passed away uh, barely over a month ago. Uh, yeah, which is amazing. He, he died, right? I know he died on May died on May twenty fourth, and uh, but yeah, I think he's he does a really good job in this film. Um, as as does uh, Prunella Ransom that plays uh, Evelyn, and uh, and the children all do are very natural in it. Are, do very do very well. Well, um, both both actors do phenomenal jobs. I thought it was interesting. There's a uh, if if anyone is wondering the way we've been able to see this film is that several years ago I think in uh, two thousand seven. <clears throat> Dark Sky Films put out a, a really good DVD of the film, and there were a couple of neat little extras on there. And one of those was an inter- an interview with uh, the cinematographer of the film, mm-hmm. and with also with the director. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of those men are um, <laughs> veterans of cinema to mm-hmm. a large degree. Mm-hmm. Now, the director of the film, uh, Mister, uh, how do how do we decide to pronounce Serador, it? Serador, Serador. It's S E R R A D O R, right? Serador, Serador. So. Um, he uh, he's a man who has had a long career, but unfortunately has only ever made two feature yeah, films. Yeah, uh, he's made a lot of television. Right, the vast right. majority of his career has been on television movies mm-hmm. and television series and things of that nature. And uh, I have to agree with something that the cinematographer says, which is that he loved working with him and thought that he was an amazing boon to Spanish mm-hmm. cinema, and just wished that he had made more films. And yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to agree. God, yeah, uh, when I realized that. Uh, I had seen a hundred percent. Yeah, you see, of yeah, his, yeah. yeah, I've seen a hundred percent of his cinema output. Yeah, I got kind of pissed off. Yeah, and wondered, well, man, how far do I want to try to delve into finding you know subtitled copies of some of the Spanish stuff that he did for television? Mm. And uh, maybe I do. I think it it'll take me you know doing some digging and some hunting because of course Spanish television is far from something that's easy to get your hands on. In in our case here in sure, the states, of course, yeah. But uh, the films are a different matter entirely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. He's so good. I've seen both of his films, and I love both of them. If I remember from the extras, uh, also, I thought this was a pretty amazing thing. I believe that the island, that they actually used about three different locations to yeah. do this, which is amazing because it's so edited, so incredibly seamless. I mean, they're describing on some, like, like some of the things where you see an interior that was filmed on one in one town and an exterior of the same building that was filmed somewhere else and it's all edited together. I mean you never would have known that had you not heard that you know, that they didn't all film this in just one location I know it's really bizarre I mean because uh, it all looks the same and yeah, um, yeah, it yeah. was it was neat listening to the cinematographer talk about how to to get that effect and of course so much of the film almost all of it takes place in bright daylight mm-hmm. <laughs> he really that one story about sitting uh, sitting there because the the cloud cover was wrong, yeah, for, yeah, right. For the matching shot, yeah. and he told he told the director, yeah, and they're like, okay, okay, and they they're waiting and wait they wait for hours, mm. and Serador, the director, just you know just panicking and yeah. pacing back and forth <laughs> and going, is the light yet? Is the light yet? Is the light? You know, it's like <laughs> until fine because if you if you don't do it, it won't yeah. cut together and it'll look like shit. You will you will break you will break the mm. the the audience. You yeah, will, yeah. The audience will mm. be taken out of your story. Yeah, 
And it's just one of those things where that and the cutting together of all the various locations that are mm-hmm. nowhere near each other, that yeah. it all makes it feel like one big seamless place. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it is amazing. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a really, really well done film, a very high quality film. And at 40 years of age, still looks mm-hmm. phenomenal. It does. It I'm, does. Surpri- I'm surprised actually that, uh, someone hasn't snatched this up to do a, a Blu-ray of it yet. I suspect that, um, that may, uh, that may happen sometime soon. Mm. Um, I think Serador is still alive. So there's definitely the possibility of talking to him again Maybe. on camera wow. about the film, possibly. Yeah. But that's just, this is a great film. Um, not, not, not that we haven't already kind of tossed this out there, but I guess we should, we should probably talk about, yeah. um, our ratings before we start talking about some of the societal things I want to yeah. get into. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, spoiler alert, I really enjoyed this film. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but honestly, I, I gave it a nine um, because I couldn't really, I, I mean, because other than just the few little quibbles I had and they were such minor ones with just places where I thought, you know, okay, didn't need this line of dialogue or, you know, would rather this have been left a little less explained or less, less overt. You know, other than those minutes, I mean, again, I can't find any fault. With I just feel like uh, technically it's a marvel. I think the performances are great. I think it's it's a very uh, powerful and, and definitely uncomfortable film. You know, I mean, it definitely definitely uh, uh, makes you wrestle with a lot of questions. You know, and and uh, thoughts about you know how we view children, how we treat children. You know, and and how our society, what our perceptions of children are ver- yeah. versus what maybe they really are. You know, what really they really should be or whatever. So all those kind of things. Uh, so yeah, I just. I couldn't see any any reason to to score many points against this film. I thought it was 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 does I think it does what it set out to do, fantastic. You know, just in a great way. So, I went back and forth between an eight and a nine because mm-hmm. um, my memory of the film was that it was an eight easily, easily mm-hmm. an eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I sat down to rewatch it, uh, I found myself uh, so overwhelmingly affected mm-hmm. that it became something that. Uh, I debated for a few days. This is an eight or a nine because this is really close, mm-hmm. and uh, ended up writing down nine, mm-hmm. and then writing down eight. <laughs> uh, I stuck with an eight mm-hmm. for no good reason that I can discern. I wish I could. Well, it's hard to give. I mean, it's always hard to give nines or tens to films because yeah. then you start feeling like you're calling it perfect, and you're like, well, nothing is is perfect, nor should it be. And you know, you think like, well, there's got to be some. But then you know, it's because I had that same problem. I was thinking like, you know, I kept thinking eight was where I was going to yeah. probably fall. And then I just kept thinking like, you know, but really when I look at what they tried to do, you know, what I think they tried to do anyway, what they set out to do, and, and, and I just had so few problems with the way anything was done. You know, oh, I see what you mean. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. It is a fantastic film. I, I, I think it's phenomenal. One of the things that um, has been pointed out about the movie is that it is a very Spanish film in certain mm-hmm. cultural ways. We, well, we point out that the two main characters are tourists. Right. And uh, for Spanish audiences, that would have been a very interesting um, lens through which to see this story because, um, of course, the the very same year this film came out is the year that uh, Generalissimo Franco passed away. And although it was far from uh, a Franco die movie over. Right, yeah, right, right. But when the general died, as the dictator of Spain, the power did shift to his uh, second-in-command, and a couple of years later, Spain was a democracy. Mm-hmm. So by 78, Spain had, had, had trans, started to transition into a democracy. So this was a, change, a, a, a time of great change. And by the time Franco passed, uh, as you and I have talked about <laughs> before, yeah. the idea that Franco was eventually going to die was a 
a, a kind of common bit of knowledge and also something that people talked about, not just as part of a political mm. uh, conversation, but as part of uh, a cultural one. Mm. Now, in the 1960s, uh, General Franco instituted um, an openness to Spain for the first time in a couple of decades because uh, Spain was in desperate need of money yeah, <laughs> and yeah, therefore right. uh, opened up the doors for tourists yeah. and you get a lot of money mm. from everywhere because Spain is a hell of a tourist destination. I mean, there's a reason you can look at that festival going on in that seaside town and uh, see why so, pe- so many people would flock there. There's beaches, yeah. there's, the, there's, there's the water, it's a beautiful place and it's the kind of thing that obviously... You can just rake in the money off of off of tourists who want to go there and, and forget their troubles for a while. Mm. So in the 1960s, Franco kicked the door open on that kind of thing because the, the the state needed money. That is both a good and a bad thing, depending on where you are in Spain and what your mm. position is and how this affects your mm. life. But regardless, by '76, uh, that that's been going on for over a decade, and mm. tourism and mm. tourists mm. are a natural, normal part of your life, pretty much year round. Yeah, depending on where you are and you know what's what's going on, you deal with tourists in Spain in that period of time all the time. So it becomes uh, something that is a point of contention, causes problems. Uh, all the good, you know, you, you know the same way. How, how do we react to all the damn tourists in Asia? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're glad you're here. To, you know, just leave your money, hand it to me, even, and go the fuck back home. We're tired yeah. of you having you here. And you're, you're clotting up things, and I can't well, get to the bar, right? Yeah. So. Tourism brings all the same problems that you would expect. So it's Mm -hmm. couching the film as two tourists from another country automatically puts Spanish audiences in a particular mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fascinating. Another thing the movie plays with is throughout it, and at different levels on different topics, it wants to talk about morality. Mm -hmm. What is moral? Mm -hmm. What is immoral? How do you justify your actions do your actions end up being justifiable outside of yourself? Mm-hmm. And uh, Are course, your actions justified if it's done in the name of survival? You know, does correct. everyone have a right to do whatever it takes to survive? Right. And do we have a right to judge them on that? Do we have a right to judge another being's, uh, what another being does for, to, in order to survive? Right. And this film, it, it, it brings up all of these ideas... It brings them up in, in in clever ways. It shades things in one direction or the mm. other. It it doesn't. It, it's not taking any kind of moral stance at any point. I, I can't find the film well, coming down yeah. firmly right on one side or the other of a of a very split idea. You said something that I didn't think about is having the protagonist not only the tourism angle, but having the protagonist be British means that they can be tourists, be non-Spaniards is. They can also talk about having talked about considered abortion without necessarily becoming unsympathetic. Like, in a, had they been, the Spanish audience might have accepted more that, you know, well, right. British British people can talk about, you know, it's a different culture. Or they might, you know, if it had been too Spanish, it had been a Spanish couple. That's talk, right. The idea of them talking about that they had discussed abortion would probably have been still hard to bring across in cinema, even in the even at that time, even in the '76. And there were, you know, I think I think you're right, I, and I hadn't, and you're right. I hadn't really thought of the fact that uh, introducing the idea of, mm. you know, having considered abortion being something that it would be better to put into the mouths and the characters of someone who are mm-hmm. others. Yeah. Someone who's not Spanish. Yeah, it might make the Spanish they can still the Spanish audience could probably then still feel sympathy for the characters. Yeah. You know, and and and, and not, you know, because they were British, so that's that, that's true. 
Um, this is a movie to be admired on many levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find myself... Um, one of the reasons this is not a movie that I return to on uh, a frequent basis, um, I don't think I could watch this movie more than every two, three years yeah. at most. Yeah. And the reason for that is it stays with me. Yeah. It, the, 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 it, first of all... It's not a feel-good movie of the summer no, kind of thing. No, it's, you know, it's, it's is, not that. It's not it's, something you put on when you're just, I just want to veg out and just watch something that... <laughs> strokes my pleasure zones or whatever you know it's just not not that kind of film this is a, this isn't yeah. a, I'm gonna watch a couple of Charlie Chan movies yeah, yeah, exactly right. yeah 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 but the thing is the the movie on just the visual level is beautiful mm-hmm. uh, I'm not joking when I say that I fully expect there to be a blu-ray of this film eventually yeah. because it is an absolutely gorgeously made film it's beautifully photographed uh, and there's there's a, a depth and real character to the images that is astonishing. Mm. Plus it has at least one or two images that I think are just ridiculously perfect, uh, iconic in in the realm of uh, Spanish horror. And it has that just constant, it has a great sense of constant ominous. Even in the very beginning, just the, you know, the couple of the bodies, you know, when you see the body wash up on the shore is an overt thing, but just that whole, again, I just love that whole opening sequence, how it's edited and the sound, how the use of sound that you... It seems that Tom and Evelyn are being are almost like they're there's something menacing them even there, even before they get to yeah. the island. You know, even in that, just because of the way it's edited, the jolting, the crowd, the jostling, and the fireworks, and just the uh, you just feel constantly this scene. And even before you get to the island, of course, once you get to the island, then it really ramps it up. You know, that whole sense of something. It's like the best films like Halloween and films like that do. You know, just yeah. where even when nothing is happening, something you just feel something's there. Yeah. Something's yeah. just around the corner. So yeah. I'm, I, I cannot recommend this movie highly enough. If it's one that you've never seen, please check it out. Uh, mm-hmm. Knowing knowing the uh, the dark dark ending is not going to hamper your enjoyment. <coughs> right. It's brilliantly well done and something that I think that uh, any horror fan should see. And as a matter of fact, I think it's uh, we've talked a little bit about this kind of thing before. Where I think this is a movie that could stand being seen alongside uh, a lot of different art films from the yeah. time as well. Agreed. It is it is artfully made and it is very well done. So, well, I guess that's our take on that film. Uh, yeah. We do have uh, one more little piece of information that we'll get to after a quick break. Uh, we don't have any mail, so uh, none of you love us and no one has written us. I know. Yeah. And so uh, we are both sad, sad yeah. animals <laughs> crying over in the corner. Sad clowns with their broken toys. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it? Sad, sad, sad clowns, clowns with broken toys. Yeah. Uh, they, they play. No, the sad clowns playing in a field of broken toys. Oh, I can't remember the whole thing. Oof. Damn it. We'll have shame for tea. That's a part of it. <laughs> yes, shame for yes. tea. <laughs> That's right. We're going to have shame for tea unless you write us, write us, write us. <laughs> oh, it's crumpet time. All right, folks. We'll be back in a moment. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic, and sometimes not-so-classic, Monster Movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, 
Victoria Bryce and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. thing before we let everybody go um believe it or not who can kill a child is a movie that was recently well sort of recently remade yeah and i totally Um, forgot that too you reminded me of it i know it's 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 odd to be able to say this but it was remade in 2012 uh in mexico it was uh shot edited written and directed by a guy who calls himself calls himself Mm. makinov Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know a whole lot about him, and from what, I've under- what I understand, he kind of went out of his way to make himself, if not mysterious, at least uh, he stays away from publicity. Okay. Which is strange when you think about the fact that, these, especially these days, there's really that's really no good way to further your career. But, mm-hmm. nevertheless, there was a version of... Uh, who Could Kill a Child, made in 2012 under the title Come Out and Play. Mm. Now, once again, it is a, an English-language film that takes place primarily in a Spanish-language culture, this being Mexico, mm-hmm. and it is a virtual shot-for-shot remake of Who wow. Could Kill a Child. Mm. As a matter of fact, um, when it popped up on, on Netflix uh, a couple, three years ago, I sat down, I had heard someone mention Come Out and Play, mm-hmm. And they probably had mentioned the fact that it was a remake of Who Can Kill a Child, but that part of that little bit you of information had completely escaped yeah. me. <laughs> but I remembered the title, and one night was playing, you know, Netflix Roulette, yeah. hit play, and sat down and watched it. And after. It probably went long. <laughs> a few minutes, mm-hmm. probably 15 at most, I began to realize oh, wait a minute, this damn thing's a remake of Who Can Kill a Child. Mm. Now. Here's the weird thing. I watched the whole movie, mm-hmm. and the entire time, I wish someone had been able to have like a camera in the room, secretly planted just Watching. right on my face. <laughs> because I think slowly over the course of the runtime of Come Out and Play, my face just becomes more and more incredulous. Because... <laughs> It's not just that it is a, com- a a complete remake. I can understand the the wisdom of sticking to a very strong script to the uh, mm. to the adhering to the idea and a simply and simply updating the locations and mm. the uh, uh, the 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 actors. Essentially, taking a story that is in a lot of ways can be read as timeless, mm. planting it down in a different culture, telling the same story again. I can get that. It doesn't bother me. I'm not one of those people who. Runs, you know, runs screaming to my my booby room to cry <laughs> when somebody remakes a classic film. It's just, I'm sorry, I'm not precious about it. Mm. But what was really bizarre 
was, remember all those things we said about how effective and dark and unsettling and atmospheric mm-hmm. and creepy that who can kill a child is for that find an adjective that is the exact opposite of everyone <laughs> i just used and slap it in front of a description of come out and play because it is insanely flat mm-hmm. the, the the things that slow burn build yeah. in who can kill a child just bore the shit out of you in come out and play it is so flatly done hmm. that there's no energy to it. Wow. Wow. It was a struggle to finish, even though once I realized it's who can kill a child mm-hmm. and far enough into it to realize, mm-hmm. oh, well, they seem to be sitting hitting all of the same mm-hmm. plot notes, all of the same beats. Mm-hmm. This should be interesting. Let's see mm-hmm. if the, how far they're willing to go in 2012. Mm-hmm. But I was bored. I really was. It's. I, I. I think I ended up giving it like a three or a four. Wow. <laughs> and it's. 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 It's a pretty looking film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. It's not incompetently made at all. It's. It's a competently made film. Mm-hmm. It's just boring as hell. And that's something terrible to say about a movie. One of the worst things I can say. Yeah. So, uh, if you have in the past seen come out and play and had never heard of Who Can Kill a Child because the movie does not reference it to the best of my knowledge, I'll tell you right now that what you've seen is an inferior product. Mm. You have seen something that does not measure up. Sounds almost like comparing both versions of The Haunting, you know. They remake got everything wrong that the first one, that the original does right. (laughs) That's not not too bad. Uh, Mm. The remake of The Haunting was a CGI you know, roller coaster ride of insanity which is the wrong story. Zero amount of subtlety at all. Or atmosphere or anything. <laughs> and um, this is not quite the same thing. They don't go overboard. They tell the exact same story. Yeah, the same story. But, but like you said, that it, what what was what was what was creepy and ominous and subtle and carefully plotted along in the first one becomes just without that spark, you know, yeah. without that creative spark behind it, just becomes like flat lines, like you said. You know, just, there's no the one of the great things about uh, Who Can Kill a Child is the the mystery element, the yeah. trying to figure out well where the hell is everybody mm-hmm. and how wait a minute how did this happen and is, did I just really see what I think I just saw yeah. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In this movie, you don't care. No, wow, it, it, you really don't. I mean, yeah. it was a struggle to get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked back at my rating on it and was like. I was, I was trying to figure out when I saw it, and then I realized and looked and went, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was yeah. – I remember that sucking pretty hard, and it sucked pretty hard. <laughs> so, uh, oddly enough, uh, I don't think this is the first movie we've covered that's been uh, remade. Uh, hell, nope. Of course, Nashy remade his own film. True. But this is a, this is a terrible remake. So, <laughs> if you've seen Come Out and Play – I'm sorry. Go see the better one. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Dark Sky Films. You can still buy the DVD, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So go check it out. So okay. Who Can Kill a Child? Classic. Seek it out. Do what you can to see it. Yeah, agreed. Come out and play. Ignore. <laughs> Just walk <laughs> yeah. the hell away. What's funny is, I, I okay, as an aside, I mentioned uh, Netflix Roulette. Uh, I do that. I do, I do play Netflix Roulette, especially in the horror genre, because <sighs> lots of horror films are produced every year. Not all of them are gems. Not all of them are crap. But somewhere in between are films that, uh, as a horror film fan, I can mm. get some joy out of and are actually competently made, but are mm. not necessarily classics or particularly fantastic. Mm. So a lot of these tend to pop up, luckily for me, on Netflix, and mm. I get to play Netflix Roulette. Now, yeah. in the past couple of months, I have seen a couple of these things that are kind of, you know, lower budget 
horror films. They don't the the scripts and the yeah. stories don't need higher budgets, so it's not that big a deal. Uh, and I have enjoyed a couple mm. here recently. Okay. Uh, first, uh, a little movie called Curve, which mm. is only about a six out of ten. Yeah. But it's a pretty good little movie. Okay. Uh, it's essentially a very it's a, it's essentially a two character play. A mm-hmm. uh, woman uh, on a cross country uh, cross country trip here in the U.S. is um, p- uh, picks up a has has a little car trouble. A hitchhiker helps her out. Hitchhiker's a good-looking younger man. Mm-hmm. She kind of thinks about giving him a ride, mm-hmm. decides, okay, yeah, I probably will. He's charming. He's funny. Uh, turns out he's also a killer. Mm. Well done, though. Mm. This is, yeah. I mean, like I say, not spectacularly well done, right. but well done. And okay. one of the things that drew me in was that the uh, man who plays the killer is uh, uh, the actor who's been uh, on Flash the past year playing um, the Earth... Well, the Earth 2 Flash slash... Um, uh, Jay Garrick? Jay Garrick. Oh, that guy. But, of course, he turns out to not sure. really have been right. Jay Garrick. Right. He was, he, he was yeah. you know, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, but good he, actor. I like yeah, him. He's, he's a very good actor, and he's the uh, he's the murderer, and he's he's quite entertaining. The lead actress is uh, good without being particularly great, but then mm-hmm. she pulls exactly what the role needs, and so that's solid. Uh, so Curve, Netflix roulette, not bad. Okay, real good. Uh, the other was a slight step up, in my opinion. Uh-huh. A film called Hush, which I had heard good things about. Yes, I, this sounds familiar. I have heard of this. I haven't seen it, I know, but I've heard this one. Um, young 30-something uh, writer. She's uh, she's a deaf mute. Mm-hmm. Uh, she became a deaf mute uh, in her teenage years because of an illness. It's essentially a. It starts off like it starts off feeling like it's going to be a slasher film. Turns into a uh, a psycho siege film. Mm. Well done. It's done by the same guy who did uh, Absentia, mm-hmm. which is another Netflix find. Absentia was fantastic, and um, he also did. Oh darn it! The uh, the haunted mirror film. Um, oh, another uh, one. You another one. You mean yeah. Um. Oculus? Oculus. Yeah, yes. that was good. I liked Oculus. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Now, uh, this film, is, I don't think is as good as Absentia, Absentia or uh, Oculus. I loved mm. both of those movies. Mm. Uh, this, is a, this is a notch down, but still solid. Okay. So Hush is a pretty good little Netflix roulette discovery. So not, well, I wouldn't really discover it. I sought that one out because I like the filmmakers. So. Okay. But uh, uh, not another out of the park for him, but a solid mm. little movie. Cool. So uh, there you go. Little, hey, man, little, that's a pretty couple good. Of, a couple yeah. of spare reviews on the side. Good, good, cool. All right. Well, uh, I think that now we can go ahead and wrap, wrap this thing up. Mm-hmm. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in. Remember that you can reach us at NashyCast at Facebook.com. Whoa. <laughs> I think I just blurted. Yeah. Uh, NashyCast at gmail.com is the email address. You can reach us over on the Facebook page anytime you wish. Uh, we post the occasional interesting thing over there. Uh, I, I will be posting the occasional interesting link to uh, various issues of Video Watchdog over there that pertain to uh, Spanish horror. I uh, put up a link a few days ago about the uh, the uh, issue of Video Watchdog that holds one of my favorite Jess Franco articles that Tim has written, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Lucas has written in recent years. And I think it's uh, well worth your reading. Uh, take advantage take advantage of the the free issues of Video Watchdog on that digital mm-hmm. app. I mean, what yeah. more, what the hell more could you want? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And uh, like I say, contact us mm. at the email address anytime you wish. We'll be glad to hear from you. And uh, I guess that I guess that'll wrap it up. Yep, we just need to tell what we got coming up next. Right. Uh-oh. 
Now, next month, we'll be over on uh, the Bloody Pit, Bloody Pit. Uh, and we will be returning to the land of uh, giant monsters and attacking and violence. Mm-hmm. Bloody, mm-hmm. bloody uh, giant you, monster. You ass kicking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next month, over on the Bloody Pit, we'll be talking about destroy all monsters. Really looking forward to this yeah, because... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I fear I will get into this movie and realize that I've seen pieces of it, but the mm. way it stands right now, I don't think I've ever seen it. So it'll be part three of our Ghidorah files, Ghidorah, however you want to say it. Looking forward yeah. to it. We're having a good time with that. Yes, and, uh, and I, also you, uh, I will not be there, but uh, Rod has another uh, interesting Bloody Pit episode coming up that he'll be doing with Randy Fox. So we'll be watching for that to be posted soon on uh, Soylent Green. True. So, and uh, what are you and I doing next month? He, I mean, ne- not next oh, month, but oh, two the, months from here. Yeah, two months from now on uh, be another Beyond Nashy. And uh, one that might surprise people. It surprised us because we didn't know about this until one of our uh, loyal listeners' friends uh, actually tipped us off. Uh, the fact that there is a Santo film. Santo, yes, the master wrestler. Who uh, that had made actually a film called Santo vs. Dr. Death that features several uh, of the Nashi verse in it. Uh, Helga Lene, for one being one, in fact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was enough to. We went about that. We said, we, we've got. I can't believe we'd ever have an excuse to do a Santo <laughs> film, but now we do. So we're doing Santo vs. Dr. Death, uh, will be our August episode. Cannot wait. There's a. There's a. Uh, there's a burning desire within me to, to cover every Santo film in the world. Or at least all of the ones that involve monsters. Yeah. <laughs> which would only take oh, about uh, yeah. seven years. Yeah, let's see. The man made, I think, 52 films, and probably yeah. probably 48 of them had monsters in them. So, so yeah, <laughs> that would take a... <laughs> that might take a while. But, uh, but speaking of your Soul and Green episode, uh, are you going to invite all your listeners to have bring their saltines to eat while they listen there and uh, bring their crackers? You know? uh, well, uh, if, if they wish. <laughs> The funniest thing to me while listening to the uh, the commentary track on Soylent Green was that all those, you know, when you see the the conveyor belt with all the little Soylent Green crackers on yeah. it, the 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 film's director Richard Fleischer points out that yeah, all the Soylent Green stuff is just wood paint, you know, wood painted green. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just imagining people on set, all the all the funny pictures that they were posing for with each other, <laughs> yeah. you know, pretending to eat, eat soil and green. green. Yeah. <laughs> and they're boxes of cheap pieces of wood. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Well, thank you very much. Join us uh, for both Destroy All Monsters and Santo versus Dr. Death. Mm-hmm. That's an eclectic pairing, I think. Yeah, I think it is, too. I think, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. All Good right, time. folks. Once again, thank you for joining us. Always glad, always glad to have people out there who give a shit about what we say. Yes, yes. I don't quite understand it, but we're glad you do. <laughs> right. So thank you very much. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we'll see you next time.
light brighter than the light in your home Or will you want to be loved but nobody else seems to know Somebody to love Sweet love, illumination Sweet, sweet love, elevation Outside, fresh, out of the But inside, I love You'll be alright Sweet love, illumination Sweet, sweet love, celebration Sweet love, sweet, sweet love. 